For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is Tailgate Till May, your place for year-round college sports talk. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined by the whole crew today. That's Brian Kaufman and Ben Crowley. Brian, how are you? Doing great, man. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, it's been a minute since we had a, an off-season show where we had what I think we feel is a pretty unique topic to dive into, something that we haven't heard anybody else discuss. Um, and I think it's a good one. I'm excited to get both your guys' thoughts. Ben, what's going on? Oh, just happy to be here, guys. Uh, I do have some takes that uh, I feel like are going to be in line with the whole Mark View on the hot seat, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what you guys think. So I'm ready. Well, Ben, you got a lot to say pre-show. Let's hope you have a lot to say during the show, and let's dive right into it. That's how we like to do things here. Get right to the action. Biggest news of this past week was the NBA draft withdrawal deadline. So early entrants had until last Wednesday, May 31st, to withdraw their name from the NBA draft, and we saw a lot of guys coming back to school for another year. The most notable was reigning national player of the year, Zach Eady. And it's a really interesting year we have because this is not only the second year in the in a row where we have the National Player of the Year coming back. We had Oscar Shibway the year before returning to Kentucky, but we also have the Naismith National Player of the Year and the Heisman Trophy winner in Caleb Williams returning to school together. This has only happened two other times. Strangely enough, it actually happened last year with both both Bryce Young and Oscar Shibwe returning. And the only time before that was Tim Tebow and Tyler Hansborough returning after winning the awards in the 2007-2008 school year. So, guys, we hear so much about how the transfer portal has caused all this turnover, how things just aren't the same in college sports. Well, from where I'm standing, when you have the reigning national player of the year in men's basketball coming back and you have the Heisman Trophy winner coming back, uh, we're kind of entering a vintage era of college sports or at least a vintage year of college sports when it comes to men's basketball and football. But the question I have for you today, and Ben, I'll start with you, is does Purdue and Zach Eady or USC and Caleb Williams have a better chance to win a national title? First off, I just want to say that combo of Tim Tebow and Tyler Hansborough being the national players of the year is just two guys who don't try, or sorry to say, try harder than everyone in the world to be who they are in their craziness of personalities. But well, times back then, um, I say USC solely because I don't believe Purdue can do anything uh, after the first or second week of the tournament. I know I love Zach Eady. You guys know, I love the big boys um, jamming around big bodies flying around. But I think at a certain point he can only take them so far. It's a guard game in college basketball, as we know. And in football, I don't know if you guys have heard of the quarterback before, but he's pretty important. Second most important person on the team besides the punter. So, you know, I think it's just Caleb Williams. Time to shine. USC is, you know, I'd say three times better odds than Purdue to win the national title. Brian? 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to look at it slightly differently and, and I'm going to go with Purdue. I think that we are still a year or two away of Lincoln Riley making up ground on the defensive side of the ball recruiting for USC to be a true national title contender. And I think that, that you know, I, I, I three sentences in, I haven't mentioned Caleb Williams or Zach Eady, but I think Purdue was a one seed. Right. They were they were extremely close. I know USC was knocking on the door of the college football playoff. Um, I, I think I think Purdue, you know, you mentioned it's a guards game. They were playing with freshman guards. Those guys are only going to have more and more experience. They're returning so many other guys. And, you know, obviously a 16 has only lost one other time. They came back and won the Natty the next year. So there is, albeit a super, super small sample size, um, There, there's historical evidence that it can be done. I agree with you, Ben, that it's a guards game and that there was concern all year. I didn't have Purdue going that far in my bracket because it's tough to win when you're playing through a big like that. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's it's the combo for me. It's the extra experience. It's fi- continuing to figure out ways to get those guards more confident, more experienced, more involved. And on the flip side of things, you know, USC – I think they're going to get there. I think they're going to get to the playoff for Lincoln Riley. I think it's a little bit early for that to happen there. He's Caleb Williams is losing a lot of his receiving talent from last year. I think he'll still put up video game numbers. They still have good guys with getting their hands on the ball. Um, but I think USC is a year or two away. And I think if it's going to happen for Purdue, this very well could be the year to do it. Steven? Do you think the nail thing continues in the next year, though? The painting Sorry? of the nails. The painting of the nails for Caleb Williams. That has to like pass, right? You can't continue that. He needs a new shtick this year. Yeah, what was it? He he would paint like the other team on his yeah. nails. Yeah. That was his thing. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh he won the Heisman. Maybe you maybe you keep it rolling. I don't know. I think you need a new shtick, new routine, you know, new year. Steven, sure. sorry for cutting you off, but uh, I, was curious. I, I, you I don't thought? think it's going to stop because I know it's it's something family related. Somebody is in his family. I don't know if it's a. I think maybe his oh, sister. Really? Somebody family. Somebody within his family. Um, I think owns a nail salon or and he's been like painting his fingers since he was young. I believe is the story. I guess, oh, and I it's, uh, he's sense. been getting manicures and it's kind of his thing. So I don't think that's going to stop. But I, Brian, align more closely with you than I do Ben. I think the fact that Purdue lost that first round game to Fairleigh Dickinson makes everybody forget just how dominant Zach Eady was last year. I mean, if if I asked you who were the other contenders for national player of the year, I don't know that you'd even have an answer. It, Trace Jackson Davis, maybe, but I don't know who else was even close to Zach Eady and the dominant performance he put up. I mean, the guy put up 22 points and uh, almost 13 boards a game. And I, I don't think we saw anybody close to him. I think he was still the most dominant player in the country. Purdue won the Big Ten, and it wasn't even close. And granted, a down down Big Ten, not a vintage Big Ten. They won the Big Ten tournament, and they earned a one seed. And I think a lot of times we get tricked and we get fooled by tournament performance. Any day of the week, give me the one seed bringing back everybody that lost in the first round compared to a team like North Carolina that was an eight seed. They played like an eight seed throughout the entire year and they had a magical March run. And then what do they do? They come back. They're the number one team in the country. They don't even make the tournament. Regular season results are much more predictive of 
how good a team actually is and how good they might be in the subsequent year than six weeks, not even six weeks, three weeks in March. So I think there's a, everybody is not everybody is sleeping is not the right word, but I think there is a certain uh, undervaluing of Purdue going on right now because they lost that fairly Dickinson game. I'm like you, Brian. I think the freshman guards, I think uh, Lawyer and Braden Smith, I think they're going to get better. They were freshmen, and they were pretty good freshmen, and I think it's reasonable to expect some sort of improvement year over year. They didn't bring a lot in Purdue in the transfer portal. I would have liked to maybe see them bring in a guy like Hakeem Hart from Maryland who ends up going to Villanova because where they could really use some more is athleticism, uh, especially at that kind of wing spot there. I thought a guy like Hakeem Hart would be a good addition. However, they do bring in this guy, Miles Colvin. He's from Indianapolis. He's supposed to be an extraordinarily athletic wing. He's a freshman and he is a freshman, but there's an upgrade in athleticism there. I think Purdue, as constructed last year, was a national championship contender. I certainly think they're a national championship contender uh, this year. Ben, you asked if I've ever heard of guards. Have you ever heard of defense in football? Because that USC defense was atrocious last year, and I don't really see it getting any better. Yeah, that's true. Uh, It's probably probably also a victim of the conference they play in, which is the Pac-12, and just scoring a lot of points is what they do. but, but if there's ultimate... one thing you're not going to, if you're in that conference and you have to go against Michael Penix, you have to go against Bo Nix, you better be able to stop the pass, right? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I feel like, did they have a decent recruiting class this year? It just wasn't on the level, obviously, of an Alabama and Georgia. But I mean, Lincoln Riley will figure it out. I mean, he doesn't have, uh, what's his name that's now the coach somewhere? Venables? Uh, no, he took over. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting all. Brent Venables is Oklahoma's head coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he replaced formerly, Lincoln Riley. Formerly yeah, yeah. a Clemson, Clemson defense yeah, coordinator. Yeah. Yeah. I spun around my own wheels a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I just think. I mean, even look at all these national championship games. I feel like they end up being higher scoring than defensive struggles. Um, the last defensive struggle that I remember, there's definitely one in between, is the nine six win uh, LSU back in the day. But I feel like in the playoffs, there's ends up being fireworks more so than not. Uh, Even in the SEC championship, even though it's a league that's dominated by defense, the game is still geared towards offense and the way it's structured. So, yes, their defense is not as good, but their offense is so good with Caleb Williams. And I mean, the show that he put on when we were all watching at Mohegan Sun was just otherworldly. And you give him another chance to do that and... It's just, it's, he's a tough one to knock out. That's all I can say. I think that they, uh, you know, credit where it's due, they did add pieces on the defensive side. And I, I'm not saying that they can't be improved in that sense. They they most recently added Bear Alexander from Georgia, who, by the way, if you haven't seen his TikTok tour of his new LA apartment, you have to see it because NIL is doing some magical things for these guys. Like what I would give to live where Bear Alexander is living. They got uh, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M as well on the defensive line um, and produced Jack Sullivan too. They got guys who can get up the quarterback. They, th- this is why I say, I think it's coming. He's going to keep getting guys in the transfer portal. People want to go play for this guy and want to live in LA. And I think it's going to happen, but I don't think that it can happen this quickly as bad as they were. I mean, uh, Steven's not exaggerating. They, they, they were not good on the defensive end. Um, and so I think it's fair, Ben, but I think I think it's going to be a minute. 
Yeah. The other thing that we'll say to both your guys' point about Purdue is in that Fairleigh Dickinson game, Edie still dominated. They just didn't give him the ball. I mean, he was like 7 of 11 from the field, 21 points, 15 rebounds. But Braden Smith just had seven turnovers, and everyone shot the ball terribly besides him. So I agree with the fact that it's – you guys have maybe pushed me a little bit more. So, I mean, if you just feed Edie, the problem is everyone in the – not everyone in college basketball is someone that can go against someone that's that big. No matter how much you game play, you need a bigger body on him. So, all right. I mean, oh, yeah. right. I'm down to like two two times for I USC mean, versus the three times. So. I feel like Steven job, had guys. multiple conversations watching Purdue basketball that was like, oh, you got to pressure the guards. Like Maryland beat Purdue and they pressured the guards. And like those are freshman guards. They're not freshman guards anymore. That's going to get less and less in theory if they, if they are who we think they are. You're not just going to be able to be like, oh, pressure the freshman guards. It's one of the benefits of – playing freshmen as long as they do come back as they get this valuable experience. So I think, um, yeah. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Steven? So let's, Smith also let's... looks like he's 35. Sorry, Who does? Braden Smith in his like Braden photo. Smith. He looks like he's an insurance salesman in Gary, Indiana. Maybe that's a good nickname for him. The, the insurance salesman. We'll have to workshop that one as the season goes on. But guys, I want to look at this a little more individual on individual. We talked about the team component, but which reigning player of the year do you think has a better chance to repeat? We obviously haven't seen a repeat Heisman winner since Archie Griffin in the mid-70s. Caleb Williams will be the odds-on favor to do it. I think he has some competition. Drake May is certainly one of the guys at the top of that list. North Carolina might not have uh, as much team success as USC does. Uh, JJ McCarthy, a guy that I kind of like to potentially to win the Heisman. I'm really high on Michigan. I'm really high on JJ McCarthy. I'm really high on what they, they might be able to do this year. Ben, who do you think Zach Eady or Caleb Williams has a better chance to repeat as the national player of the year? Eady, hundred percent. Like you mentioned, the Heisman is just, in my opinion, harder to repeat. Uh, granted, some of those guys move on. We even look at Bryce Young this year. I mean, he had a solid year. It's just it's hard to repeat with that type of numbers over and over again with how football set up. That it's such a team environment. You lose receivers. You lose offensive line injuries, whatnot. Um, but Eady's only gotten better as he's gone through. You know, it's harder for him. I mean, look how many minutes he got from sophomore year to junior year, just that stamina. And clearly he did it last year. He's not a big guy that gets in a lot of foul trouble. There's not a lot of people that can really defend him. He's just going to do the same thing. I mean, if you look at Tashiwa the year before, I feel like his rebound numbers were unsustainable as we saw the dip in the following year. So that's obviously going to hurt your chances. But Edie, there's just he's going to do what he does, and it's really hard to stop him. So. Well, the other thing with Shibwe is he was surrounded by four new guys around him this year, and and he was never quite the offensive force that I feel like Zach Eady was. And I feel like, uh, Brian, a lot of people are making this comparison between Oscar Shibwe and Zach Eady, but I don't even really view them as comparable players. Yes, they're both big guys, but I, I found Zach Eady to be a much more dominant force on the offensive side of the ball uh, as compared to Oscar Shibwe. How similarly do you view those two players? Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I mean, you look at the stats for Shibway when he won it, and he got up over 15 rebounds a game, which just feels like this unreal milestone that obviously he dipped below. He ended at 13.7 uh, last season. So, no, I, I totally 
I think you're right. It wasn't about that for him. You have 17 and a half points per game the year he won, 16 and a half points per game last year. Um, so, no, I, I, I don't necessarily view those players the same way. And I think it's an awesome point to say he was getting acclimated to different guys when Edie's going to be extremely comfortable. Um, and I expect that to be the case. Um, I'm on Edie with, with this question overall as well. I, I think it's kind of a, a fewfold here. It's, it's really rare. I, I don't have info to back. This is anecdotal on my end, but it feels very rare that there's an undefeated dominant college football champion and not really anyone on that team in the Heisman conversation. So I think like Caleb Williams, absolutely a deserving winner last year, but I think like Dominant players on teams that are in the college football playoff conversation more often than not are going to be in it. I think there's going to be more names than there was last year sort of throughout the season on the Heisman Trophy list. So I think it would really surprise me if if Edie's numbers changed much, to be honest, in either direction. I, I think he can get his 20 to 22 a game. He can get his 12 or 13 rebounds. He's going to get 12 or 13 rebounds automatically by standing where he stands on the court. And so I think um, it, it, it's just more, I, I love the names you mentioned, because if you look at the odds, at least on a, a BetMGM blog that I have up here, there's a couple guys with with um, you know, Quinn Ewers at, at 14 to one, like no thanks. Bo Nix at 16 to one, no thanks. But there are guys, JJ McCarthy's 25 to one in this. I, I'm not sure when this came out or if it's changed. I have JJ McCarthy at 30 to one on FanDuel. I right mean, now. like that is, that is as good as it gets. It, it, I mean, man, that's Blake Corum at 30 to one. I see here that, I mean, there's guys who are much better value. I know this isn't a betting conversation, but I, I think that bringing up Bryce Young was, was a good point because Bryce Young was the betting favorite entering his repeat year. He was the most money was on him throughout the year. And he was probably considered the favorite up until Caleb overtook him. What week nine, week 10, like this wasn't that Caleb Williams ran absolutely away with it. And so I actually think we might see a similar trajectory where now eyes are on Caleb Williams. Eyes are on Lincoln Riley in year two. And I think he's going to be good. Um, I see someone else coming up and taking it. Yeah, because it's one slip up when you're the defending champion or defending winner, Heisman winner in this instance, all eyes are on you and it feels like it's just one slip up will cost you that crown. And Caleb Williams, I I have Caleb Williams here as the favorite at plus 500. Interestingly enough, the top three, well, three of the top four, because Michael Penix and Bo Nix and Jordan Travis are all tied at plus 1200. So three of the top four players are from the Pac-12 which is a wild thing and I think speaks a lot to the point of how good and interesting and entertaining the Pac-12 was last year but I Sam Hartman at plus at 50, at plus 1500 I think is way overvalued Quinn yours at at uh 20 to 1 I think way overvalued Drew Aller at 25 to 1 are you you're telling me you could get JJ McCarthy or Blake Corum at 30 to 1 and you can get Drew Aller at 25 to one. I mean, is to me and maybe you guys tell me and I know we're veering a little off here, but I think this is interesting to me. I view Michigan as maybe one of the four teams that I would have as my favorite to win the national title next year. And you're going to give me an untested Penn State quarterback at 25 to one where you have J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum at 30 to one. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
Those guys are proven stars. I, I'm with you in that, that they've been to the college football playoff. Uh, Blake Corum's numbers, if you look at them last year, were, at, were stupid video game numbers. Um, and, and he's going to be the focus of their offense again. And then another J.J. McCarthy year. I know, you know, in past tailgates till May, I and I think I can speak for you, Stephen, but correct me if I'm wrong. Have flip flopped on on JJ. I used to want to make him make plays, and now I'm I'm a little more scared of him than I used to be. So I'm with you. Uh, I think that that those guys are there's value there for sure. Uh, you wouldn't bet on Caleb Williams either way, right? At five to one, there's there's no real point in making that bet. I think it's the same thing. I read that Bryce Young opened at three and a half to one last year, and it's like with, I expected Bryce Young to win the Heisman last year, right? He's Alabama's quarterback coming off a Heisman season. Um, I think there's an argument to be made for Caleb Williams as, as one of the favorites. Absolutely. Obviously. Um, but not from a betting perspective. The problem is too, with the Heisman and Bryce Young, like you lose one game, like the close games that Alabama had, and then you have like a great win from USC. It's sometimes almost the numbers are the same, but it's about that Heisman moment as they say. And so if you don't have that, but you have a really good year. It could be a little tricky. And it's, you know, as our friend Shane bets on like $21 bets every year, clearly the field is wide open if you can bet on like 20 people. Um, also, I just learned that there's the same height difference between myself and Jimmy Butler as Toshibwe and Zach Eady. So that's just insane to think about two dominant big men that one is just literally seven inches taller than the other. And whew, it's wild. Sorry. I also think to your point about slip up, like, there's so many variables in the season two, particularly with the Heisman truck. Like USC got their ass kicked in the Pac-12 title game and Caleb Williams had a great game. He had a statistically a great game. They got their, they got their ass handed to them in a game where if they won it, they would have made the playoffs. So, and, and nobody had any doubt going into the Heisman trophy ceremony that Caleb Williams was going to win. So it, it, you know, there, there are factors, but I think you're, I think generally speaking, Ben is onto something there with like, it is very, very easy to have a slip up, lose a game, or your team loses a game. And, you know, I don't see if, if USC loses two games again this year, which I think they will, Caleb winning the Heisman Trophy. Because I think that there's enough teams that are going to be in the playoff with star players, with crazy stats, that he's not going to be afforded that opportunity if they're not in the playoff. Yeah, completely agreed. And I'm making a clean sweep with you guys. I think Zach Eady is more likely to repeat. Uh, I think uh, there's no odds out on that yet because that market's, you know, not quite, there's not as quite, quite as much interest in that market as there is in the Heisman market. But I will be interested to see when that comes out because I think it's a, you could make a similar argument for betting on a guy like Kyle Filipowski at Duke, who, you know, is a really good player. He's coming back. He's not going to have quite as much attention as the reigning uh, national player of the year who, you know, everybody expects to be the face of college basketball this season. He's a literal giant. He's larger than life. I feel like there might be some value on some other guys there, but if I had to choose one, uh, I choose Edie because I do expect him to have, have another really good season. I don't expect any production drop off and uh, I'm really excited for it, to be honest. So I want to stick on this Purdue topic because while Purdue got great news with Zach Eady coming back, another team in the Big Ten got some really good news as well. And that's Michigan State. Michigan State is bringing back a ton. They're bringing back Jaden Akins and they're bringing back AJ Hogard. That was the big news coming out of NBA draft withdrawal day. And then they also add a really highly touted recruiting class uh, to this sweet 16 roster. So Brian, 
Purdue or Michigan State, which one do you think should be the Big Ten favorite this season? Yeah, I, my dad used to use the phrase six one way, half a dozen the other, right? Like I, we are gra- picking straws a little bit here. Like I, I think they're both going to be top 10, if not top five teams heading into the, to the regular season. Um, man, I, I think, I think Purdue deserves the benefit of the doubt to be the favorite there. I, I think like Michigan state, they, they, when Izzo, it feels like when Izzo returns a ton of experience and I think the only contributor they're really losing is Joey Hauser. Um, he, he does great stuff with it. And like you said, they have a top 10 recruit and Xavier Booker coming in who might just be the icing on the cake there. Tyson Walker's a guy who I feel like <clears throat> has been a little bit hot and cold since he got to East Lansing. And like, I'm afraid as a fan of big 10 basketball and a different big 10 basketball team that we haven't seen the best of Tyson Walker yet. And I really think like, I remember when they landed him in the transfer portal and it felt like this is just like the perfect addition to this team. I wonder if if the best is even still yet to come for him. So I'm going to go with Purdue, but that isn't to say that I don't absolutely love Tom Izzo's offseason. And, you know, they, they won a couple tournament games and they're primed for a deep, deep run as well. But I'll go with Purdue. I, I you know, they're just going to come run back exactly what they did. And it worked pretty damn well for them last year. And, uh, you know, they're the champs for me until until they get knocked off, Ben. Yeah, I'm going to go with Purdue. This is one of the takes where I think Michigan State's a little overrated right now. Uh, I don't think they're. I think they're a very good team. I don't think they're top five caliber. Some people are touting them as. Um, it, I've been a little down on Izzo over the last couple of years. Like they Spartans haven't been as good as they were in the late you know 2010s. I know there's obviously COVID involved and things like that, but he's just he's just getting double digit losses every year and they haven't been as dominant as in my mind, I think they should be. And I mean, trust me, I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to, you know, contend for the big 10, but you know, as people are touting them top five, top 10 team, I just don't quite see it yet. Um, I'm a little fuzzy. I can't really remember a good Michigan state first year player that kind of came and took the team by storm. Uh, I don't know if that's an Izzo thing where he doesn't let them play as much or recruiting, but I just and I just don't see them. Purdue is too good, in my opinion, for every list reason we've listed so far. And I think Michigan State's just a little hyped right now. So I think you know if they win by a couple games over uh, Purdue, wins by a couple games to the conference over Michigan State. Stephen, I think you make some good points there, Ben. I I think Michigan State was not the best defensive team last year, and they figured some things out in the tournament, but they also gave up, I think, 112 points to Iowa in a game, and that was a game where they blew a huge lead. So by no means were they a perfect team last year. However, I I think what you're getting wrong with Michigan State is, A, they lose a lot of games because they play the hardest schedule in the country basically every year. I mean, Izzo's always going to load up in the non-conference, and that's going to lead to some losses what I really like about this team is yes, they bring back that three headed monster in the backcourt, which is huge. You said it yourself, a guards game, right? So it's a very different style than Purdue. But what I also like is they bring in this recruiting class and Brian, you mentioned the big man, Xavier Booker. They have the luxury of bringing back their starting center, Madi Sissoko. So they don't have to rush Booker. They're going to play a brutal non-conference schedule. They're going to let these guys like Booker. Uh, I think the other guy is fear other big, time recruit is fears they have coming in they are going to have the luxury of letting these guys develop to your point Ben without 
pushing them into minutes immediately or needing them like Kentucky is going to need their freshmen to be day one contributors. They don't necessarily need that. And I think like Michigan State always does, they'll take some losses early on. But I think this might just be the right recipe where this team can continue to grow and develop and will develop as the season goes on. And they're going to be peaking like they always are at tournament time. What I am really looking for here, and I know it feels like everything comes back to betting with us, which is fine. Uh, It's a huge part of our show. I would love to see the Big Ten championship odds after like the first month of the season. If Michigan State drops some of those non-conference games, they're going to play a tough schedule like they always do. Uh, Because I think this is a team that has the luxury of coming together and is going to peak in February and March. Um, I truly think both these teams are top five teams. The betting odds reflect that they're top five teams right now. I I think they're both top five teams this might be Izzo's last best chance to win a national championship which I think adds a little bit of urgency um and if I had to pick I would go with you guys and say I I like Purdue too much everything I said before about ED being the most dominant player in the country their guards improving and them adding athleticism I still like Purdue but make no mistake about it I think both Purdue and Michigan State will be in contention to get number one seeds in the tournament, Brian. Yeah, I, and just a, one piece that uh, if we want to be a respected college basketball podcast, I want to throw in there because Ben said Michigan State hasn't had a, a freshman that came in and performed well, or he can't remember the last one. I mean, Miles Bridges came in as a, a superstar in his freshman year. Jaron Jackson, the very next year, was a, a star. The stats weren't insane, but he was a top three NBA draft pick. So, it's it, listen, it's been, has it been has it been five years since then? Yes. But does it happen? Also, yes. And I just feel like we need to make that clear. Well, I was saying they haven't been good recently. Sure, 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 sure. Fair point. Yeah, let, let's find a happy middle there where I feel like Michigan State is not Kentucky and they're not late era Coach K Duke where they're constantly churning out one and dones. But to your point, Brian, I immediately when Ben said that, I thought Jaron Jackson. Um, so I understand. We have Tom Izzo somehow say after his non-conference schedule and they like do really well and just like lean into the mic at a press conference and go, we haven't begun to peak. That would be, I'd bet yeah, all my money on them to win the national championship if he did that. Yeah, we're gonna have to build out our soundboard here, and that that will certainly be one of the one of the drops that we'll use frequently. I know with Ben on the show, he's gonna want a lot of a lot of laser beams, a lot of noises. Uh, that's it's kind of Ben style, so we're gonna we'll adapt our show to to suit Ben, and uh, certainly Dennis Reynolds. I have not even begun to peak. Will will be on there, and maybe maybe Izzo will play it for his team as well. Ben, there we go. He's golden god. <laughs> he sure is. He sure is. Uh, All right, guys, I do want to move to the negative side of this NBA draft withdrawal deadline for a second. Uh, A lot of teams got good news. Kentucky, not one of them. I've been kind of driving this train where I feel like I don't find Kentucky interesting anymore. I feel like every year it's the same thing. They're going to bring in, yeah, one of the top three recruiting classes. They're going to turn over a bunch of guys. They're going to struggle for a good portion of the season. Maybe they'll, they'll get it together. And, and, you know, they got a two seed the year they lost to St. Peter's in the first round, but they're, they're never going to feel like a dominant team. And I'm just kind of, I, I don't find them to be interesting. I don't think John Calipari right now is one of the even best 10 coaches, or they're even one of the best 10, 15 
programs in college basketball right now. So I'll just ask this bluntly, Brian, what the hell is going on with Kentucky? Yeah, I don't know, but it doesn't feel close to being fixed either. So I can't pinpoint it, but man, it's roster construction isn't what it used to be where he could just bring in these classes and they would be among the best teams in the country. It's funny you mentioned that you're not interested by it. I agree with you so wholeheartedly. I, I think it's one of those things like they almost have to re earn being part of the national discourse. And I know they're, they're not going anywhere with him as the coach and they are Kentucky basketball. They're always going to be part of it. But um, you know, last year they were Ken Pump's preseason number one team. Uh, and well, that did not turn out well uh, at all. And and so, um, yeah, there it feels very much like they are scrounging to put a roster together for this season that is starting in a handful of months. Antonio Reeves appears on his way out the door. Um, so I, what the hell is going on? I don't know, but it, it ain't good. And they got to do something about it. Brian, I made this point when we did our Final Four recap show, I believe, is that I felt like, or maybe it was another show, I can't remember, maybe you weren't even on it, but I know I've made this point on this show, that I feel like Kansas has overtaken Kentucky as far as where they stand in the pecking order of the, sp- of the sport. And I feel like this is truly a make or break, might not be exactly the right terminology here, but it feels like a make or break year for Kentucky because you're going to have Kansas going into the season adding Hunter Dickinson as the odds-on favorite to win the national championship. You're going to have Duke as one of the top two or three teams in the country. You have Purdue with Zach Eady coming back. We talked about Michigan State as well. Uh, I, I just feel like you have these really big brands, namely Kansas and Duke, that are really well seem well-positioned moving forward where they can almost semi-permanently, or at least in the, the next five years or so, kind of pass Kentucky and take Kentucky's place. I feel like for your average college basketball fan, for probably most of the John Calipari era, it was, if, if you didn't know anything else about college basketball, you know that Kentucky is usually going to be one of those top teams, and they're usually going to have one of the top draft picks. And now they might have some top draft picks, but I don't know that your average college basketball fan thinks of them as one of the top teams. I really, truly think that's Kansas. And I think Kentucky is in a precarious situation here and it, and it feels make or break Ben. Yeah. Uh, so I have an interesting opinion. I think he needs to move on. I think he's checked out in my opinion. He very not checked out to an extent where he loves his players. He wants them to do well, but he's kind of like, basketball Viagra in a sense in college basketball where, you know, he gets Memphis up and running to what they were. He did what he did with UMass and now Kentucky's, you know, I mean, they were still good obviously for when he came in, but I feel like he's been there now for what, 15 years. He needs to go to another struggling or even low like UNLV, get UNLV back in the basketball stage. Imagine how much fun he'd have there just ripping in top 10 recruits over and over again. I think he just needs to move on. I think if they don't start doing anything come March anymore, he could feel a little bit more pressure. I feel like some people, I don't know that many Kentucky fans are kind of feeling that way, but I think he just needs to move on, do his thing at another school, get some juice going, you know, a little blue pill, but that's just me. 
credit where credit's due. Basketball Viagra is a great nickname. Beat it into the end a, a little bit there. Beat it into the ground a little bit there at the end. But credit where it's due, great nickname for John Calipari. Basketball Viagra. You yeah, talked about cut me off sometimes. You know, you just can't let me ramble. Well, I got that mute button and I'm not afraid to use it. You talked about Kentucky trying to regain some of that juice. Well, there's a, another entity in the college sports world right now that seems like it's constantly trying to create juice, and that's the Big 12. And last week, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark uh, made some comments where he kind of talked about the future of the league, and you know he mentioned want, having an appetite to be a national conference, uh, talked about that they're really happy in the composition of their current membership, uh, but also that they would pursue other opportunities if they created value. The Big Ten or the Big Twelve rather looks like it has an eye on expansion. It's looked like it's had an eye on expansion for a while. And today, some names popped up uh, from Greg Swaim, a a local Oklahoma radio host. That's kind of carried some discussion on Twitter today. And these are not new names, but the names mentioned have been Colorado and Arizona as two potential. Uh, members of the Pac-12 that would be looking to leave the conference and head to the Big 12. Colorado, of course, would be headed back to the Big 12. A couple other names that have shown up in recent weeks have also been UConn is a, is a name that, that's really stood out to me where there's been talk about maybe UConn going to the Big 12. I want to start there with that UConn rumor because I, I really hate it. I really hate that for both sides. I think it makes absolutely no sense. And I think it's one of those instances where nobody is ultimately going to end up happy about it. The UConn fans have already been there. They've already done that. They've already had a rivalry trophy with UCF. They didn't like it. They wanted to go back to the Big East. They went back to the Big East and they won a national championship. Everybody is happy in this situation right now for UConn. I guess except the folks who are, you know, want bigger salaries in the athletic department. I I don't know. Is that too cynical of a way to look at that one, Brian? No, I think you're onto it. I think you're onto it. There's a, this is a big time. If it ain't broke, don't fix it moment. I think that there's that expansion has scared athletic department officials into thinking about and or taking action that isn't necessary and doesn't really behoove anyone. And this is a perfect example of that. There was a quote in in some of this recent realignment talk. I, I'm paraphrasing now, but it, it's you know leaders are always the the out in the forefront, like doing it before anybody talks about it or anybody thinks about it. Um, I I don't see the benefit for a move like that to happen at all. And like you said, they did it. <laughs> you, you tried it. It didn't work. You got welcomed back with open arms and it did work. Why are you going to go try to do that again? Money, yes, is the why. But as far as success and the best fit, they are where they should be. And there's no reason to make it happen. To be fair, moving and having a trophy at UCF is nowhere near the move up, at least in football terms, of going to the Big 12. Um, and I, But knowing everyone that's a UConn fan, and I hope that sentiment stays within the athletic department, every, like, they're made to be in the Big East. They love the Big East, the rivalries. Honestly, you know, Syracuse is not there anymore, but that battle for how many years it went on, like, it just makes no sense. They're going to win championships no matter where they are, as we've seen. They've done it in the Big East and in the American. And then 
it's perfect because they don't really have a football team. So Big East doesn't have football either. So it just doesn't make any sense in my eyes. And I feel like the Big 12 is just grasping like, oh, yeah, we want the national champion in our conference. Yeah, of course you do, buddy, because you haven't won one in a very long time. So, well, I guess not that long, Kansas, but besides Kansas. And Baylor. Ugh, I forgot about Baylor. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Brett Yormark has made a lot of interesting comments over the course of his time as the commissioner of the Big 12 because he has talked a lot about there being value in basketball. And I think from that perspective, it would be somewhat interesting if they could somehow get <laughs> if they could add, you know, there's been talk about adding Gonzaga in the past as a, as a basketball uh, only member. If they could add Gonzaga and they could add Yukon, like yes, I think that would be interesting. However, What I like about the Big 12 right now, and I think that it really has going for it, is they have a group of of soon-to-be 12 schools once OU and Texas depart that are all have an identity, which is they are committed to football. And I just don't see the value of bringing in a school like UConn that is clearly not committed to football. I, I think you start to become a little too... Conference USA, American Athletic Conference-ish, where you don't have geography going for you, and you have these different schools with all these different priorities. The Big 12, as it is currently constructed, is starting to have a little bit of geography sprawl, but I think there is all a common mindset, and I think in this day and age, the common mindset might even be more important than the geographic component, and I think the Big 12 would really be giving that up if they went and added a school like UConn, and from UConn's perspective, look guys, not everybody can go to the Rose Bowl. Not everybody can win national championships in football. Very few schools can. UConn's not one of them. And from what I gather from UConn fans, and Ben, maybe you can speak to this better than I can, they are very happy as long as they are competing for basketball national championships. And if the football team can just field a team, that's good enough for them. Yeah, they had their Fiesta Bowl in 2011. That's all they need. That was their national championship to get to some sort of BCS Bowl. Like, the the Wrenchler Field isn't even on campus, so it's, like, more of a hassle to go to the football games because no one wants to sit there and watch in Connecticut in the fall a terrible team. So, I agree. It's just there's no thought into it. I mean, you went and rehired Randy Etzel because there was no one else that wanted to hire Randy Edsel and no one else that wanted to go to UConn. So it was a perfect match at one point. Um, it's just not a good situation over there. All right, Brian, how about the, the other piece of, I don't want to call it news necessarily, but the, the speculation that's been going on for a long time about what um, has been, they've often been referred to as the four corner schools. And it's often consisted of Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona state. Um, uh, like I mentioned, the the Greg Swain tweets today mentioned Colorado and Arizona specifically. But what do you think about those four schools and what kind of fit they would be in the Big Twelve? Well, I, I the interesting thing about his report today is is the potential of Arizona and Arizona State splitting up and not being in the same conference anymore, and and that sort of thing is where you know, realignment starts to just be, I, I don't know. It feels like those schools should be in the, in the same conference. It, it just seems like that makes sense. Uh, you know, one of the articles I read and 
I'm not sure. I don't have my Arizona journalism down, but it was like an azcentral.com, I think it was, said that one of the Wildcats insiders said that they are confident that the Arizona Board of Regents would allow that split to happen. That would be really surprising to me um, to, to let those split up. But as far as the fit in the Big 12, I, I mean, yeah, better better than UConn, right? Those teams at least want to compete in football. Colorado is trying to get better at football. Obviously made the splashy hire for Deion Sanders this offseason. Arizona has shown improvement, um, you know, turning things around uh, it, uh, for their football program. So uh, I think – geography doesn't matter as much anymore. You know, you talk about they're sprawled out, but we have teams in LA in the big 10. It, it's only going to continue to happen that way. So yes, geographically, I think it's weird. Um, but I think expansion in the big 12, like you said, they've had the appetite for it for a while. And these teams have always been mentioned among, among the ones that make sense. And, and I think they do make sense as teams that would be available and generally interested. So it, it makes sense to me from a big 12 perspective. And to your point, I like adding, if you're expanding, adding rivalries. I like what the SEC did where you add Red River, right? You just import that rivalry from the Big 12 and you say, this is our rivalry now. This is an SEC rivalry. You could have that with BYU and Utah if you add Utah. You could have that with Arizona State and Arizona if you add those two schools together and not individually. So I actually kind of like those four schools coming together better than just two of them apart um so i don't know it's going to be interesting to see i i i don't i hate it for the pac-12 because it was such an interesting football season last year for them and there's a lot of exciting things and interesting things going on there but that's all been kind of put to the side with of course usc and ucla going to the big 10 and now this lingering tv deal media rights deal that can't seem to get done it just seems like any momentum that they should have from having the top three of the top four betting favorites for the heisman trophy is all just gone by the wayside because they just can't figure things out from an administrative perspective and uh I, I find that to be sad as somebody who enjoys the whole sport from from coast to coast but uh this is the time of year where we have a lot of conference realignment talk conference expansion talk i'm sure this won't be the last we hear of this as the summer goes on and we'll be sure to c continue talking about it as we have more concrete news some other uh, kind of administrative news i did want to touch on before we end, end our show today is that the sec has agreed for the 2024 season, which will be the first with Oklahoma and Texas as part of the conference, to stay at an eight-game conference schedule instead of expanding to nine games. Now, that doesn't mean that that's the long-term decision. Uh, things might change in the future, but at least for the first year that those two teams are in the league, there will only be an eight-game conference schedule. I What this says to me, guys is that with all of this conference expansion, some of these schools have finally started to realize, oh no, somebody's going to have to take losses for all this money. And, you know, look, we seem like we're getting to this steady state where we're getting these huge conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten, but you also see it in the Big Ten where there's been reports that Kevin Warren had appetite for more expansion and the Big Ten presidents didn't, and that's because at schools like South Carolina, Mississippi State, uh, Ole Miss, in the Big Ten, 
Wisconsin even. I mean, Wisconsin's a good program, but not a great program once you add USC into the into the conference at schools like Rutgers, Maryland, even Michigan State. Somebody they're realizing somebody is going to have to take losses. And I truly believe that that's, that's a big part of this pushback is that, yeah, all this money seems great. And it's great what it can do for your athletic departments, but somebody is going to have to lose when you have 16 teams where 14 of them have aspirations to play at the absolute peak, peak level of the sport, and you're playing nine conference games. I think the SEC would absolutely be foolish not to go to a nine-game schedule at some point from a viewership perspective. That's why ESPN's paying them all this money is because people want to see these big matchups. I know there's some talk about uh, trying to, to negotiate with ESPN to get paid out more for a nine-game schedule. I think in the long term, you absolutely have to do it. But what this said to me was that there are schools that are starting to, to think about the fact that there's going to be a lot of losses on the, on the schedule in the new SEC and the new Big 12. Brian, what would you take away from this? Yeah, Peter Burns on ESPN, hat tip to him, had a, had a tweet the other day. Since the NCAA approved 12 game schedules in 2006, no team playing a nine game conference schedules won a college football national championship, um, which is an interesting way to, to view it as well. I'm with you. It, it's coming. Uh, it, it has to come. I, I don't see really any way around it, but that's a really interesting way that you're looking at it, which is we're adding all these good teams and teams that, you know, Wisconsin is a really, really good example of a team that like, has been perennially, perennially right there as far as the Big Ten goes. It's going to be a, a scratch and claw to stay right there uh, with with all these teams that are being added to the Big Ten. So, yeah, it's interesting, but you're right. It, money talks. It, it does. And and I think, by the way, the, the quote that I was looking for before was actually from Greg Sankey on this topic, which is, um, a league at the forefront of college athletics does not stand still, uh, was what he was saying about, about his argument for a nine game schedule. Um, so I think it's fair. I think he knows it's coming. Um, and you know, uh, I think that they're, that that's what's coming, whether those teams like it or not, and they're going to have to enjoy their trips to the bank with a couple extra L's. Yeah. I kind of like it too. I don't know if you guys are going to get this reference or not. Um, the office episode where Andy, Daryl, and Kevin are jamming in the warehouse and all of a sudden Robert California comes down and they're really loving that. And then he brings in all his friends and by the end of it, they're not even playing anymore. They're like banging on their chest and like shaking the little thing. And it's like, yeah, someone's got to be able to play, you know, the star instruments. And if it's bringing all these good guys, you're going to get relegated to the back. So at least they're getting relegated with the paycheck. So, you know, that's it's tough luck for them, but Hey, you get paid. That's another great comparison, Ben. An, a- an absolute gem from you right there. South Carolina has been relegated to to no longer having an instrument now in this example. Absolutely love it. Good work by you, Ben. Thanks for coming in tonight. Thanks. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention college baseball before we got out of here today. Uh Brian, how much were you watching the games this week? You don't. This is not a trick question. If you, if you, if if you weren't that into it, uh, I'm just curious. How, how into it were you? I actually found myself more into it than I have been in years past. I, I wasn't able to watch like the whip around coverage or anything like that, but I definitely had my eyes on the scores, and it was great to have on just sort of throughout the day. I, I like the the weekend schedule. There's always a game on uh, for for you to catch, so I was definitely paying attention. 
Yeah, I think I, I was uh, traveling a little bit this weekend, so couldn't pay as much as attention as I would like. I was very excited when the Maryland game was delayed to a 10:45 first pitch against Wake Forest because I was at a wedding. I was like, great, I'm going to get home, be able to to watch this. This will be great. And by about the third inning, it was not so great. I believe a 21-6 final in favor of the Demon Deacons. Uh, so I didn't watch as much as I would have liked. I caught that, caught some on the plane both ways, which was was nice. It was on, I think, on ESPN2. Got to catch some of that coverage. Whip around coverage, really cool. Um, I enjoyed it. You know, the story of the weekend, in my opinion, was Wake Forest was dominant. They were the number one overall seed. They were dominant. But then you had some other really big upsets at the top. I gave out that Clemson bet to win it all at 28 to 1 last week. Well, that didn't last well, that didn't last long. Clemson eliminated, did not advance to the super regional. Uh, Tennessee advances out of that Clemson super regional. Clemson, the four seed, but they weren't the only high seed to be upset the Arkansas Razorbacks which seems like a a yearly tradition now they go out early they don't advance they were the number three seed overall TCU advances out of that Fayetteville regional Uh, this format seems like it lends itself to a lot of that chaos and um, you know you have these upsets especially if, if a high seeded team ends up in the losers bracket I mean it's all about who has the arms and who can get through it my question for you Ben is do you like this format this regional format or would you prefer to actually add an additional round here where you have every round be a two out of three series and instead of having these four team regionals you know you'd have a two out of three series um, then the winners advance you have another two out of three series and then you eventually reach the super regional round like we have today which is already a two out of three series because that's a lot more similar to how regular season college baseball is it's a weekend series yeah you typically have three weekend starters um and that's kind of how the game is played it seems like in these regionals it's just an all hands on deck approach that i don't know how similar it really is to the regular season how much it actually tells you whether the team is a best team there or not so which way would you prefer, Ben? Uh, I like the best two out of three. It's almost the opposite of, um, in my mind, MLB. MLB, you have, you know, season long. It's a grind. But once you get to the playoffs, it's all right. You can use your three, maybe four best starters. Use your best players. Figure out, you know, which team. Have your stars do the damage. But in this where, you know, say, for instance, Maryland had won against George Mason. It was, what, game Friday? game Saturday, game Sunday morning, game again Sunday night. It's just who can play that many baseball games in a row and have quality starting and pitching over and over again unless you're absolutely loaded. So I just think it's not a good representation of what you've done all year. So I'm all for the two out of three. Um, By the way, you guys know why Wake Forest rolled, right? Like why they just dominated the weekend? The Steve Phillips video. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head, buddy. Best motivational speaker in all of America. And what do you have to say to the Deeks? I don't know. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm just assuming that's what happened. <laughs> do you just know that he... he so you don't even know. know video. He, is there a video? I just Can we confirm yeah. that is actually there a video? Are you just video. making yeah. this up? There is a video. I have not seen it yet, but there is a video. Yeah, I watched oh. it on mute. Steve Forbes just screaming at the camera, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Like the baseball team was around him. I think he was encouraging fans to come to the 10:45 game. It was a lot. It was a lot, but it worked. I mean, they came out jacked all the way up. I agree that like it's a better representation of it. I kind of, I kind of dig the chaos, guys. If I'm being honest, like it, like this, the way it's set up right now is it. 
I think chaotic is a good word for it. it. It's not fair per se, or like, like you said, like the best representation, but it's fun when you're, when you're scratching and clawing to get enough arms to get you through a Sunday elimination game in the regional. And maybe I'm just, I'm used to what the format has been. And, and, you know, now that Maryland's been in it a little bit, I'm, I'm, it's been exciting, but I think two out of three makes a lot, a lot of sense, but it's, uh, I don't want to, you know, disparage what they have now. It, it's fun. It's fun with how kind of wild and wacky it can be. Yeah. I like the chaos too. I could just do without some of the like 17, 12 games on a, on a Sunday night when, you know, you're, you're throwing when the team that came through the losers bracket is throwing like their fourth or fifth guy, they have no bullpen arms. I mean, I think the game you guys went to on a Sunday night last year, wasn't that a super high scoring game in, in the college park regional it yep. took forever. Yep. It sure did. And so, I mean, that can, that can get a little tedious. I feel like, um, and it's really not like it's, there's a lot of tension there certainly, but I think there's just as much tension in, a 3-2 game in the bottom of the six and game three of a three-game series. So, I mean, I'm kind of fine either either way. I was just kind of thinking about, you know, what else could they do? And I believe there's actually been some chatter as well about potentially modifying the format. I think next weekend is a really cool weekend. And I don't know what the TV coverage looks like. I was surprised. A lot of the games this weekend were ESPN Plus games. Uh, I was surprised we didn't get a little more coverage on the main ESPN family of networks because college baseball really just seems like a sport right now that has a lot of room for growth. I, I think it's, I don't know if it's whether just Maryland being competitive and being good has opened my eyes to how fun the sport can be. But I, but I love the, I, I really love the weekend format of it. I think this first round of chaos is fun. And, you know, I got to say, I went to the Super Maryland, Virginia, Super Regional in Charlottesville. I went to two of those two of those three games. And that was one of my, I don't know, top five, certainly Maryland sporting events that I've I've been to um, in terms of uniqueness and the atmosphere and what was on the line and Virginia has a really cool facility down there in Charlottesville. So um, a fun weekend of baseball, a cool weekend of baseball, really excited for the super regional weekend as well. All right, guys. Well, that's our show. A blast as always. Excited to get back to it next week and see what news comes out of the college sports world. It seems like even in June, the, the you know the podcast is called Tailgate Till May, but even in June, it seems like we're getting new things each and every week. Excited to be back again next week and talk about it all with you guys. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.